right, here we go. As you can see, we're looking at the book of Acts, at the power of Jesus in the book of Acts at the front end of that series. And actually, it's my uh, privilege and honor today to introduce our, uh, not really guest uh, speaker, teacher, but uh, to introduce who you're about to hear from. Uh, this morning, you're going to have the, the privilege to hear from one of our own deacons. Uh, his name is Steve Vigorito, and Steve has been a member here at Mosaic, been a member at Mosaic for many years. He's not on staff with us, but he does serve in a deacon role, and uh, his day job is being actually a judge. Watch out. At the Austin Municipal Court, he uh, got his undergrad at LSU with a law school at UT here, and is actually, I think this month, finishing up his degree in theology from Fuller Theological Seminary. And so Steve uh, has served this church for a number of years, all kinds of capacities, especially in a teaching role. He's done a number of our foundations courses. Some of you will recognize him from that. He teaches in foundations. He teaches a lot of our grow classes, especially our stuff aimed at theology and worldview. Uh, he's a gifted evangelist, loves Jesus, got a, a great sharp mind. And so he's here to, to, to teach us today, to, to bring God's word to us. Would you please welcome our friend Steve Vigorito. How are y'all? All right. Thank you so much for this privilege to be able to share this morning. Thank you to the leadership of Mosaic for giving me this opportunity. And thank you, all of you, for just the privilege to be able to share with you this morning. I know a number of you out there are nervous because you've had me for foundations class. <laughs> and you know how long-winded I am. And you know that I average about an hour and a half when I stand up and start talking. I want you to know... And you're about to see the miraculous power of God this morning, because <laughs> I'm going to finish this bad boy in 38 minutes. <laughs> All right. All right. I just want to pray a quick prayer. Father, would you just uh, give me the words to say, and would you just anoint uh, what happens here? You know what you want to accomplish in the lives of your people. And so we just ask, God, that you would give each one of us in this room an encounter with you, whatever you want to accomplish, whatever you want to give birth to you, whatever you want to produce, help us to become the witnesses, the evangelists you've called us to be in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 5. You could open up your Bibles or look at the, uh, the screen up here or look at your cell phone. All right. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 5, and this is the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in their native language of each. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know. 
This man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified, and you killed him by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, For your children and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. What we're going to talk about today is the power to be a witness. Uh, When I uh, first received Christ, I was 21 years old. Before that, I was actually an atheist. I didn't believe in God at all. And so I had a rather, rather radical transformation, and God did some amazing things in my life and changed me in some phenomenal ways. Uh, I wasn't the greatest guy, and he, he had a lot of work to do. And the first couple of years it was an exhilarating time for me of growth in my relationship with the Lord. But I can tell you that one thing that I didn't do, uh, I did rarely or maybe never at all, was share my faith with other people. That was an intimidating thing for me, this whole evangelism thing. I was like, you know, I don't really think that's for me. Uh, there were a number of uh, things involved in that that just didn't turn me on. Uh, for one thing, I just wondered, you know, I knew what God did in my life, but, and I knew what God could do in other people's lives, but I didn't know how you get other people interested in something like that. I, you know, I'm not going to just walk up to someone on the street and say, hey, you want to know Jesus? You know, honestly, that just didn't appeal to me, okay? I, I'm not looking for, that's not what I wanted to do. The other issue, the second issue I had is, well, if you actually get someone to listen to you, well, what exactly do you, do you say? I mean, the Bible is, it's a big book. There's a lot of verses in there. And if someone says, I, you got 10 minutes to tell me what God says to me, I, what, what, am I, what am I supposed to say? How am I supposed to reduce the Bible to 10 minutes? That was, I, I didn't know what to say. And then the third thing is, I felt this kind of a pressure that if I'm going to share Christ with someone, that I need to come up with such convincing arguments that they're going to actually receive it. And that if they don't receive it, then somehow I failed. And that, and that uh, you know, I'm a disappointment to myself and to God because I wasn't able to communicate effectively. Well, I don't know if you've ever felt some of this, but feeling like that, that's not a prescription to get excited about evangelism. So... <laughs> So I just decided, you know, (laughs) we'll leave that evangelist stuff to Billy Graham, those people who are gifted in that area, and I'm going to just do my thing. No thanks. Well, God, he had different ideas, uh, as he often does. And so what happened is, at some point, he pushed me out of the boat, or literally, he pushed me out of my car. What happened is, is that uh, I was about to go to law school, and all of a sudden, my car broke down. And... I was going to be broke in law school, so I didn't have money to make a car payment. So 
what ended up happening is I ended up riding the bus for three years. And so I ended up being surrounded by the harvest every morning and every evening. And I would be surrounded by people, and I knew God loved them. Some of them already had a relationship with the Lord, but a lot of them didn't. And so I just felt this burden like, you know, maybe I should be a Christian here. And, and so I started to kind of step out and take baby steps in terms of trying to share the gospel with people. And gradually over time, and I'll be honest with you, at the beginning, I was terrible. I mean, bad. But, um, but I began to take baby steps, and then over time, God began to teach me how to be effective. And what he taught, taught me was that the Holy Spirit was given to me to, to, to give me that power, and that it was the Holy Spirit that was actually going to accomplish all those things that I was worried about. And all he wanted it was an available vessel. God's not looking for ability as much as he's just looking for availability. And so we see that in this passage in Acts chapter 2, it's talking about the power that the Holy Spirit gives us to be his witnesses. And so we're going to walk through that passage and kind of see what we can glean from uh, what God is saying in this scripture. And hopefully that for those of you who've never had a never stepped out and shared the, uh, the gospel with someone, that this would maybe encourage you to step out. For those of you who already do it, that this would just empower you with a greater level of boldness and confidence and, and equipping in that respect. So we're going to look at this passage and we're going to see how the Holy Spirit provides power to do three things. It's the mosaic way, three points. One, the power to, to provide a taste of heaven. Two, the power to make the message plain. And three, the power to bring people to commitment. First of all, the power uh, to provide a taste of heaven. In Acts chapter 2, this is the Feast of Pentecost. Um, in the Jewish calendar, you had three feasts every year, three major feasts. There were other feasts, but there were three primary feasts of the year. And the reason these were important is because on these feast days, Jews from all over the world would travel to Jerusalem in order to worship. And so on this particular weekend in Pentecost, the reason that's important is that on this particular weekend, you had Jews who worshiped the same God, but were coming from different cultures, speaking different languages, coming from different worldviews and different cultural lenses in some respects. And they're all here in Jerusalem, worshiping God together. And God is strategic. Jesus had, had ascended into heaven 10 days earlier, and the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples uh, in the temple just at this time when all these people are here from so many other countries. And Morgan talked about that there was countries from coast to coast, spoke, spoke many different languages. The Holy Spirit falls on the disciples, and all of a sudden they become empowered to speak in languages that they'd never studied. And it freaked people out. Because they're looking and they're saying, these are uneducated fishermen and things like that. And all of a sudden they're speaking in languages, whether it's Chinese or whatever, that they'd never studied. And the Bible says that people were shocked and amazed, and they asked the question, what does this mean? What does this mean? What we see here is that Peter didn't have to come walk up to someone and say, hey, listen to me. Instead, the people came to him. They saw the manifestation of the kingdom of God. They saw God's heart to want to communicate himself to other cultures in a way, and, to, and to break down any language or cultural barrier to that effective communication. They saw that and they said, this is not earthly. This is heavenly. This is not natural. This is supernatural. And they asked the question, what does this mean? I feel like I'm getting a taste of heaven. I, I feel like I'm getting a taste of the kingdom of God. I want to know more. And so they asked Peter, break this down to us. This is the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit. 
The purpose of the gifts of the Spirit is not to get weird. It's simply to, to empower our lives so that when people encounter us, they feel like they've encountered heaven. That our lives embody the, a, heavenly, a heavenly kingdom in the way in which we function. And so, so in this instance, you see it's, it's the ability to speak in languages that they never studied. And that's obviously not something that you see very common. But other gifts of the Spirit are things like healing. Mar- Morgan ta- Pastor Morgan talked last week about wh- how God healed his body of all back pain and that his legs ended up uh, becoming, uh, growing to the right, the exact same length, right in front of a crowd. And it inspired confidence in the power of God. Uh, what is that? It's God's heart to restore people who are dealing with sickness and disease. God's heart to restore community. Uh, one of the gifts of the Spirit is the gift of hospitality. People who have a gift and a burden, when they see people separated with no sense of belonging, to say, well, come in, I'll be your family. These are gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are designed so that when people encounter you, they feel like they've encountered heaven. That's what Jesus says. When they ask Jesus, teach us how to pray, you know what he says? Pray this. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants us to have lives that cause people to encounter heaven. So they ask, uh, they ask Peter to break this down. What's going on? And so what Peter does is he, he quotes a prophet, the prophet Joel. And he says... He says, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be that God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Peter is quoting an Old Testament passage of the prophet Joel which was spoken to Israel at a time when they had broken covenant with God. When they were separated from God. At that time the temple had been destroyed. And the reason that was so important is because the temple was the one place where the Holy Spirit actually resided. In the Old Testament the Holy Spirit wasn't with everybody. Instead it was in the Holy of Holies. One room in the inner sanctum of the temple. And so if you wanted to be even near the Holy Spirit. You had to travel to this building. The temple in Jerusalem. Well they had broken covenant. The temple had been destroyed. And God begins to preach hope to the nation of Israel and he tells them late in the latter days I'm going to bring a new covenant and in that covenant I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh no longer are you going to have to go to a temple in order to find the Holy Spirit instead the Holy Spirit is going to come to you because you will be that temple and no longer will it be that there's only one person that can actually go in that inner sanctum which was the high priest instead I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh Everyone can now be used of God. Everyone is now called to be an evangelist. And he said, and he begins, and and, and Peter begins to describe, the prophet Joel describes certain manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit that will cause people to be able to minister to other people. And he lists three of them. He lives, he lists prophecy, dreams, and visions. And I already made reference to a a number of other gifts earlier, but he specifically mentions prophecy, dreams, and visions. And so I thought, well, let's kind of, Let's kind of put some legs to this. Well, what does that look like? How does that enable me to evangelize? How does that enable me to, to witness to, 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 for people to encounter heaven when they encounter me? And so I thought about an example in my life when I think of prophecy. And, you know, sometimes we think of prophecy as just this one thing, which is telling the future. You know, you call someone out and say, hey, you know, next week this is what's going to happen to you. That prophecy in the scriptures 
is more broader than that. It is having a sense of what the heart of God is and what he's saying to someone, what he's doing in someone's life. And that can manifest in different ways. Um, before I was a judge, I was a criminal defense attorney. You have a lot of chances to witnesses there. Uh, <laughs> a captive audience, literally. So, uh, so, you know, I do end up having a lot of stories, and it's because I do have a, a ripe audience at times. So, um, there was this one time that um, I was down at the jail uh, on a weekend. I was getting a client out of jail. He got arrested. I don't know what for. And... Um, so I was down at the courthouse, I got him out of jail, and I was about to leave, and there's this guy that was there kind of milling around the courthouse, and he was frazzled. He's like 21, 22 years old, kind of UT student, looked like a fish out of water, like he'd never been in this environment before and didn't know what to do. And he found out that I was a lawyer, and he, and he walked up to me, and, he, and he, he said, can you help me? And he explained to me what went down, and apparently his girlfriend got arrested. They had gotten in a fight, um, a kind of a, not a major spat or anything, and she had slapped him. And someone else had seen it and called uh, the cops. And so they arrested her for assault, uh, domestic violence. And, uh, and so, so they, they, arrested, they arrested her, and she'd never been in jail in her life. She, this is traumatizing to her, and it was traumatizing to him. He didn't even want her arrested, but this is what happened. And he's devastated. He don't want to wait till Monday for his, for, for his girlfriend to get out of jail. And so he's asking me for help. And, and, and I said, yeah, no problem. And so he asked me, well, how much do you charge? And I said, well, $400. And he, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, right at that moment that I said that, I heard the voice of God on the inside of me say, do it for free. I didn't want to hear that. <laughs> I, you know, I'm like, that ain't God. <laughs> I actually have biblical precedent that that is in God. The Bible says a worker is worthy of his wages. And so I was like, but I heard it and I knew, I I, I heard it. And then he said, and before I had a chance to say anything, because I had thrown that out there, he says, you know, I don't have it now, but I'm going to have it on Monday. Well, normally you don't get people out of jail on credit. Because once they walk out of that jail, you're a credit card company at that point, honestly. But at this point, I'm like, well, good. That gives me two days to figure out whether that was really God or not. <laughs> so I'm like, fine, yeah, you just paid me on Monday. Well, got her out of jail. You know, I actually got a chance to encourage her. I don't remember if I prayed for anything, but I did get a chance to encourage her and talk to the judge, got her out of jail. And then mo- by Monday, God had made it dreadfully clear to me that this was him. And he was saying, I want you to do this for free for them, these guys. So I called him up on Monday. And he answers the phone, and he goes, hey, man, I got your money, which is, that's good, you know? And I told him, I said, you know, man, don't worry about it. I'm just going to do it for free. Don't worry about it. And there's this pause, and he's like, man, just thank you so much. You don't know what that means. I mean, this is a broke college student. I mean, $400 is a lot of money and, uh, for him. And he, he, says, uh, he says, well, can I ask you why? And I said, I was kind of tired at the time, so I wasn't really diplomatic, so I just spoke very plainly. I just said, well, to be honest with you, God just told me to. <laughs> and there's this pause, and then he, said, he started crying. And he says, uh, he says, you don't know what that means to me. He says, I, was, I became a Christian a number of years ago, and a couple of years ago I just started to stray away, and I've been separated from God for quite a bit. And because of what happened this weekend... 
I've been trying to reconnect. And right before you just called today, I was on my knees praying to God that he would show me that he still loves me. I didn't know that that's what was going on, but God did. The prophecy is to express the heart that God has for someone in a particular moment, in a particular time. And not only is, it, is he operating in that way, but he's orchestrating circumstances so that it happens in such a way that people encounter that and they know that God is involved. And it opened up the door for him to come back to the Lord. That's how the gifts of the Spirit operate. Um, I've had other situations uh, where people have had visions, actually. There's one woman that, I, that his, her boyfriend, I got, I got her boyfriend out of jail, some drugs or something like that. And I, she, after, after I got him out of jail, I was visiting with her out and by the picnic tables outside the jail. And all of a sudden, we immediately got into this conversation about God. And she had all these questions. And I, I didn't, it's like I didn't even have to try. And within 20 minutes, she wanted to receive Christ. And we prayed, and she received Christ right there. And then this is what she tells me. She says, I need to tell you something. Did you notice how weird I was acting when I first saw you? And I'm like, no. And (laughs) people act weird when they see me all the time. (laughs) So I didn't notice anything unusual. And she says, this is what she says. She said, Three weeks ago, I think it was like three weeks. It's been a while, so I don't remember the exact details. He said, some time ago recently, I had been struggling emotionally, and I was just devastated, and I don't know how to connect with God, and I didn't know, and I, I just started praying, and I begged God, would you just somehow help me, show me, how can, I, how can I connect with you? I need help. And she said, as she was praying, she had a vision, and she saw a face. And she said, when I walked into the jail lobby, she looked up and freaked out because it was my face. And somehow God was kind of identifying for her so that when I walked in there, she just kind of knew he's going to have something he can say to me about God. The Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, open up the door for when people encounter you, they encounter a taste of heaven and they want more. And I want to demystify this before I move on. And what I mean by demystify is because when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, sometimes that can sound, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty out there sometimes, you know, visions and dreams and prophecy and stuff like that. But you want to know what the greatest gift is? If you look at the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians where it talks about prophecy and healing and all that. It finally talks about all that, and then Paul decides, there's actually one gift I'm going to devote an actual whole chapter to. 1 Corinthians 13. It's the one that everyone quotes in weddings. It's actually not talking about weddings. It's actually talking about evangelism. It's love. That's the greatest gift. The greatest gift is not healing and prophecy. The greatest gift is how do I treat my neighbor? How do I treat my coworker? That people see my life, and they look at it, and they say... That's not natural. That's supernatural. That's not earthly. That's heavenly. I want to hear more. I want to know what this means. The first thing, the p- thing that the power of the Holy Spirit does is it empowers us to give people a taste of heaven. So we need to ask a question about my life. Do I live in such a way that people say that's heavenly and not earthly? Because if I don't, then God wants to empower me to do it. And all of us need to grow in that area. The second thing that God, uh, the Holy Spirit empowers us to do is to make the message plain. You remember I talked about how, well, how you take this big old Bible and say it in 10 minutes. I don't know. Peter does this. Um, Peter, can you pull up that scripture on the, there you go. P- 
Peter, in Acts chapter 2, this is his message when they ask, what, the, what does this mean? This is what he says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered us up, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Does this sound diplomatic to you? Is, is Peter kind of mincing words? Is he kind of bobbing and weaving and tipping around what the gospel is? And he is in your face. This is what's up. He's talking about the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ. He just lays it out there. A lot of times... We have a hesitation of doing that in, in order because we, we're not sure how people are going to respond. Sometimes we don't just kind of just lay it out there and make the message plain of what the gospel is. It's about what Jesus did and what his heart is, uh, is for us. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. This is what Paul says. He says, Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. By setting forth the truth plainly. Paul says that's how to present the gospel, is to just tell it like it is. God um, really drove this point home to me on a mission trip to Morocco. Uh, I went to Morocco on a mission trip about uh, 2012. It was actually with Joshua and Carla Adams. I don't know if they're in this service, but we all went together. Um, and uh, Morocco is 99% Muslim. And so we were, we were going to be speaking to people of, uh, of a Muslim background. And so on our plane ride over the Atlantic, I'm reading books about you know, how to share my faith with Muslims. And every single book would say the exact same thing to a T. And they would say, you can't just bust out there with the gospel. You have to gradually develop relationships over an extended period of time. And you have to just start, start gradually moving into it. Maybe tell a parable here, a little story there. You've got to gra- be gradual about this. Now, that's true, actually. Because when you're asking a Muslim to, 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 to confess Christ, it's a total change of a worldview. And so there's a lot of wisdom in that. However, while I was reading it, I sensed the Holy Spirit on the inside of me objecting. And he wasn't saying it's not true, but it was clear that the Holy Spirit was telling me that ain't the way it's going down this week. <laughs> and, and he kept telling me that verse that I just read in 2 Corinthians 4 and 2. He kept saying, set forth the truth plainly, set forth the truth plainly. And it was so pronounced that when I was going to bed that night, I was in Madrid at a hostel and I was going to bed. And it's like uh, it was ingrained on my brain, that verse, set forth the truth plainly. The next day, I'm in Madrid. I mean, we hadn't even got to Morocco yet. So I'm in Madrid and I'm in the town square. And in, in, in European uh, cities, you have this square in the center where everyone just comes at night and all. And it's nice because people aren't just at home watching TV and all. Like in America, they actually have some community. I mean, it's nice. And they, <laughs> they, they, they all came. They, and so you have, you have street performers. You have people asking for money. You have people doing funny things, playing music. People just relaxing, playing chess. It's wonderful. And this guy is speaking. He's actually sharing the gospel in Spanish. And I'm doing my best to understand it. And there's this guy right next to me that's listening intently. Oh, 50, 60, uh, about 50, 55 years old guy. And uh, 
we started talking. And come to find out he's a Muslim from Iran who had left Iran in the late 70s under the Iranian Revolution. And he was now living in Sweden. And he was on his vacation in Madrid. You know, I'm going to Morocco. I'm figuring I'm going to preach to Moroccans. Instead, I'm preaching to an Iranian who lives in Sweden who's on vacation in Spain. And, and we, and, and, but here's the thing is we got to talking, and we weren't talking about the gospel. We were just kind of just talking, and I invited him to come to dinner with us. So Joshua and Carla and myself, we ended up going to dinner together. We got to know him, and he, you could tell this really meant a lot to him because he just was alone on his vacation, and he really needed someone to reach out to him, and he really enjoyed his time with us. And as we were walking back to the square, um, he, I was thinking of that verse, set forth the truth plainly. And I, I don't know if we were leaving the next the day or the day after, but I knew I, knew I was probably not going to see him ever again. Um, and so when we got to the town, the square and we're about to separate, I, I kind of just threw it out there. And I just started asking him about what does he believe about God. And, 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 I, and we got into this long conversation. And I, I, I was thinking, well, how can I connect the gospel to, his, to where he's coming from because Muslims do accept the Old Testament. And they're familiar with the Old Testament. So I asked him if he was familiar with the Feast of Passover. And he said, yes, I'm, I am familiar, familiar with the story of Passover and how God deliver, delivered the Jews out of Egyptian slavery where the lamb dies in the place of, uh, of, the, of the firstborn son of every household and how that really speaks of Jesus, actually, Jesus being the lamb of God who dies in the place of, the, uh, of, of us as guilty sinners. So I began to talk to him about that, and, I began, and God opened up a door for me to, to explain the gospel out of that context of the Passover. And we talked for two hours. He had wonderful questions, and at the end of it, he says, he says, man, that makes sense. I don't think I've ever understood Christianity like that in my life. And he says this. He says, um, I need to tell you something. Right before I met you, I was in a gift shop. And I saw this cross on a shelf, like one of those gift shop things. That you, it was a cross, a crucifix on the shelf. And he said, I felt drawn to that cross. And I don't know why. It was almost like I was in a trance. I was drawn to that cross. And I remember saying to myself, I need to buy that because that's about Jesus. And he said it was so weird to him. And he had, literally had to talk himself out of it. He's like, wait a minute. I'm a Muslim. I don't believe that stuff. And, <laughs> And he, and, and he, so he, he resisted, he talked himself out of it. And right after that, and he says, right after that, I met you. And he says, I think God's trying to talk to me. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> sound like it to me. Um, now he didn't actually accept Christ at that moment, but the seed was sown. God will give us the words to say that connect with people. But we have to be willing to set the forth the truth plainly. Don't, don't bob and weave around what the gospel is. And trust God to deal with them, which leads us to our third point. The Holy Spirit gives us a power to bring people to a place of commitment. And what's that about? Once the word is out there, once you share the gospel, once you set it plainly, set forth the truth plainly, the Holy Spirit takes over. It's the Holy Spirit who actually begins to communicate to them. If you look at verse 37... Acts 2, verse 37, it says, now when they heard, I mean, Peter just finished blasting it in their face. So you think, oh, they must be offended. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. What was happening here? When they were hearing the gospel, all of a sudden they had a strong sense 
of their need for Christ, of their sinfulness and their need for salvation. They were cut to the heart. John 16 and 8 says this, When the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Whose job is it to convict the world of sin? Is it ours? No. Matter of fact, when we try to, we only make people mad and nauseate them. The Holy Spirit is, has a, does a good job of convicting people of sin if we just put the gospel out there. The Bible says that they end up having, that 3,000 people end up having an encounter. They were cut to the heart and they put their faith in Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit that does that too. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12 and 3, Paul says this, no one can say Jesus is Lord except through an encounter with the Holy Spirit. When in Matthew 16, when Jesus says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You know what Jesus says? He doesn't say that was pretty intelligent. He says, blessed are you, Peter, because flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my father who is in heaven. To get a revelation of who Jesus is requires an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit knows how to close that deal and do that if we just put the the word out there. It's not our job to convince people to get saved. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It's our job simply to put it out there. And the other thing that the Holy Spirit does is sometimes, in this instance, it happens immediately. But sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes, like with that guy, the guy from Sweden... They go home and God begins to work with that word and God begins to water it. That's what happened to me. That's how I actually received Christ. When I was, um, when I was nine, my mom actually shared the gospel with me about what it means to be saved and all that. And I didn't object to it, but my mom, that just wasn't where I was at. I just wanted to go play football. And so I just, I left and I went to play football, but I never forgot it. And then I became an atheist. And I stopped believing in God altogether. And when I was 21, my mom had died by that time. She's in heaven. She's gone. And somehow or another, my brother had got me to a church service. And I'm sitting there, and they're presenting the gospel and inviting people who want to receive Christ to meet in this back room, and they would lead them in a prayer to be saved. And while I'm there, they're saying that. They didn't explain it too much, what that all meant. But I knew because that whole conversation when I was nine just kept coming back to me and I just I understood what it meant. And God just began to deal with me. John 14 and six says this, that when the whole that the Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth, he will lead you into all truth and remind you of everything that I've said to you. When you share the gospel with people. They may not make a commitment right there, but you can be assured that when they go on, God's going to start watering that seed. And there are going to be things when we get to heaven, we're going to find out there are lives that are being transformed all over the world because we were willing to just set forth the truth plainly and the Holy Spirit and give the Holy Spirit something to work with. What we see here is that the Holy Spirit's the one doing the heavy lifting. It's the Holy Spirit that's, that's giving, uh, helping our lives to give people a taste of heaven. It's the Holy Spirit that's and, and giving us the power and the courage to put out, out there and make the message plain. And it's the Holy Spirit that is leading them to a, uh, taking the word that we put out there and bringing people to a commitment for Christ. Well, then what's our role in it? Just to be available. And just that role itself is an incredible privilege. God is allowing us the opportunity to participate in his mission to restore the world. And I just want to tell you this uh, story as a conclusion. You know, I told you that God put me on the bus so I could actually start learning how to share my faith. Well, I can tell you, at the beginning, I was terrible. Um, Because um, 
I was more likely to give someone a systematic theology lesson than I was to actually make anything plain. Sometimes I think people left more confused by talking to me. But God began to work with me and he began to teach me how to do it. But there was an extended period of time where I just didn't see any fruit. And I remember I was walking, I was on West Runberg, uh, walking to my apartment with my books on my back, in a backpack and I was frustrated. And I, and I told God, I was like, man, I'm trying. I'm trying to share my faith, but it just seems like no one really receives it from me. I mean, what, what, what gives here? I was frustrated. And right when I said that, um, I heard this voice behind me, and a guy goes, hey, man. And I turn around, and this is some guy I'd never met before, and he says, where is such and such, such and such? He was looking for some apartment. And I, and I, and I kind of told him the answer, and then I just kind of threw it out there. I said, hey, man, you know God loves you? And he goes, and, and uh, <laughs> we got into the conversation. And he, it's the best I could do, you know. I, I know that's in the Bible, you know. <laughs> you know, no Greek, no Hebrew, just God loves you, man. And, and he says, uh, yeah, um, and he, he, he said basically he had a relationship with the Lord, but he had strayed away. And I don't know why, but I just began to talk about your relationship with God kind of like is kind of like a marriage where just be, that, that there are times when you have distance because you haven't attended to it the way you need to. But that doesn't mean that there's not a covenant there, but you need to just make it right and come home. And while I'm talking, he starts getting emotional and happy and he, and, and, and he gets restless and he says, man, you don't know what that means to me. I was just about to go cheat on my wife. That's why I was looking for that apartment. And the way you explained this to me, now I realize what I got to do. And he turned around and, and he said, I'm just going to go tell my wife I love her. And he turned around and just started running down the sidewalk. And I can tell you that when that happened, the joy that I felt to be, to have the opportunity to participate in what God was doing in that man's life. John chapter 15, verse 8, Peter is talking about being fruitful. And he's encouraging his disciples to be fruitful in touching people's lives. And he gives a reason, and this is what he says. I say this to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. In the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus says there is more joy in heaven. There is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people that don't need to repent. God is joyful about restoring his creation. And he is inviting us to to lock arms with him and to participate in his mission to touch people. We don't have, it's not an obligation to witness as much as it is as a privilege and an opportunity. The title of this series is The Best is Yet to Come. And one of those best things that's yet to come is God wants us to have the opportunity to share in his joy, to be available, to be used as his witnesses.